Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Cassandra Jackson is the author of The Wreck, a daughter's memoir of becoming a mother. Cassandra is a professor of English at the College of New Jersey, where she teaches classes about African-American literature and visual culture. She is co-author of the Toni Morrison Book Club and has also published two books on race in U.S. literature and art, and she has written about racial oppression in everyday life in HuffPost and the Washington Post. She lives in New Jersey with her husband and two children. Welcome, Cassandra. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss the wreck, a daughter's memoir of becoming a mother. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. I really wanted to do this. So thank you. Oh, no, I'm I'm really glad. And your memoir was, oh my gosh. I mean, 
all the research that you did and going through all those, like the microfiches and the articles and reconstructing the whole thing. Oh my, anyway, I shouldn't like jump right in, but it was so moving. And um, I honestly just, I can feel how like haunted you are by what happened because like I felt myself just like going over it and over it and over it. I don't know. It was really good. Thank you. And thank you for reading it in that close way where you can also like experience some of, you know, sort of what was hanging over me in that moment. I think that was one of the parts of the book that I worried most about that, that people would understand that this wasn't, uh, you know, sort of mundane research. You know, you, you worry that people don't understand like sort of how that part fits, you know, and uh, especially as an academic, nobody cares about your research, right? So like, but that process, right? To me, it was like really central to the book because it was so central to understanding myself in a lot of ways. So, well, let's back up for a minute and mm-hmm. tell uh, tell listeners about your memoir and what it's really about, and then when when you decided that this is something that you had to do. Yeah. So when I think about sort of what this book is about, I really feel like it's about a collision between two moments in my life. Right. So I'm. You know, 36 years old, I'm trying to get pregnant. I'm not having any success getting pregnant. And it forced me to think so much about legacy, but also experiencing that kind of quiet grief was incredibly familiar to me. And that it was a kind of grief that I had lived with throughout my childhood. And so that moment really took me back to my childhood and uh, a loss that my father experienced before I was born but that we lived with every day. Um, So before I was born, my father lost his mother, his sister, his sister-in-law, his niece, and his first wife in a car accident. And we, you know, did not talk about that accident. We didn't really talk about that part of his life. When I asked questions about, you know, uh, missing relatives, all he would ever say was the wreck. That was the explanation, the wreck. But I didn't have a clear understanding of what had happened, when it happened, where it happened. And yet, so much of our lives were determined by that accident, right? I exist because of that accident. And also, just, you know, it was just, it was something that I think my family was like constantly working very actively and sometimes unconsciously to repress, right? Everything was about you know, this new life that they had built. And so as I was trying to get pregnant, I found myself reflecting on this grief that has no sight for expression. You know, sort of what do you, um, especially with, you know, infertility, because it's not like there's some ritual around it, right? It's very much a kind of invisible loss that you're experiencing. And so what this book was really about is sort of what that grief took me to in terms of the other kinds of grief that I had experienced in different parts of my life. Um, And so, yeah, this was my story, but it was also about having to kind of reflect on the past in a way that was really kind of painful. And asking my dad to engage in that was really hard as well, asking him to reflect on that moment, to tell me about that moment. My gosh. Well, let's talk about the infertility piece Mm -hmm. first, because... When I read it, like as you laid it out, it seemed like you were swept away and like you were so not treated like a person by the medical establishment. And all these little things, even 
even just them not waiting for these, um, you know, the cysts or whatever to, you know, give them their time or just everything was like, here's what we're doing. You're, you know, there was never a moment where they were like, honey, I think you might have be suffering from infertility and here's what we're going to do. It was like, instead they were like, this is what we're trying and this, and you've got to get this. And like, I felt like you, you wrote so well about just being like totally knocked off your feet and being like, wait, what, like what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. And if you add to that, the fact that you're taking drugs that are making you process and think differently, like I'd be sitting there and with people talking at me and thinking, wow, I smell strange because, you know, these drugs are, are transforming your body in ways uh, that are unimaginable to you. Like I, I just remember realizing, you know, um, feeling so swept up in it, but also in reflection, realizing that, I was incapable of, you know, sort of fully participating in that process and no one was asking me to, right? And so, um, you know, I, as you said, there was no moment where anybody said like, you know what, let's sit down and talk about, it. I think you're suffering for infertility. Let's talk about, you know, your options, your choices in this moment. It was sort of, this is what you need to be doing. These are the drugs that you need to be taking. And, and no one really discussed any sort of alternatives with me in a way that would have been helpful. Um, and I felt like my body, you know, was separate from me sometimes in these moments in the way that, you know, sometimes people describe when they're talking about abuse. Mm -hmm. Like, I felt like there was some disassociation that was necessary. And I had in many ways, I had already learned how to do that in women's healthcare, even from the time I was a teenager, those early experiences of going, you know, to a gynecologist where, you know, you endure these often, you know, incredibly invasive procedures. And it's just a given that you're just going to lay there and do it because mm -hmm. it's good for you without any real, you know, conversation about, you know, why you're experiencing these cut this discomfort. And is your discomfort different from someone else's discomfort? There's a moment in the book where I'm talking about this particular doctor because she's ordered a procedure that was very painful. I come back to her and I say, this was really painful. And she kept repeating what I was saying back and editing out the word pain. You know, mm -hmm. she kept saying, oh, well, what you're, you know, some people experience discomfort. And I'm saying, no, 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 I, I was screaming on mm -hmm. a table in a, you know, experiencing a kind of pain that made me feel out of body. Mm -hmm. And she keeps saying, yeah, some people experience some discomfort, you know. Um, it was a way in which um, I felt like I was, you know, being treated very much as, uh, you know, this objectified body that no one was living in at the time. Yeah. Wow. Even now they're the codeine that you're like, I'm allergic to codeine. And they're like, no, you probably aren't anymore. And yet next thing you know, you're like vomiting like crazy. I'm like this port, yeah. like nobody is listening to you, you know? Yeah. At that particular one with that, my sensitivity to that particular drug has, I've actually had multiple doctors tell me, no, no, you can take it. You just need to eat more. You can take it. You just need, like at this point, you know, after you've projectile vomited a half dozen times, you can't take that drug. Yeah. Um, and I even had a doctor tell me I needed to take that off of my record. Very recently, you should just take that off of your record because something could happen and you could really need, you know, and people won't understand. I'm like, you really, 
it says so much though, I think about like the way in which healthcare works, mm-hmm. you know, um, I grew up with a mom who like, you know, she worshiped doctors, mm-hmm. you know, you go in, you do what they say. I, I can remember hearing her on the phone talking about doctors later on and, you know, Dr. So-and-so said, <laughs> you know, and even my parents would be, when my father became ill later in life, my parents would be very proud of the fact that I could go in and talk to the doctor in a way that made it seem as if me and the doctor were like equals. And it, it was really, that was like meaningful to them. Like, oh, we have this educated daughter who can talk to the doctor. And and quite honestly, like, you know, I, I think that I imbibed a lot of that. And it's not that I didn't know the ways in which, you know, medicine has treated women, the way in which it's treated people of color, like, it's not that I didn't understand that, hey, there's a, you know, power differential here. But I think I had imbibed this idea that I could control it, hmm. right? That if I presented myself in a certain way, that if I if I made myself look like a person with insurance, if I made myself seem like somebody who was educated enough to, like, understand what they were talking about, that somehow this would skip over me. And, you know, I mean, that's why it's called systemic, right? Like if these things are systemic, it's built into the system, doesn't skip over anybody. And if it does, it's by accident. That's a fluke, right? You don't talk your way out of systemic racism. It doesn't work that way. Anyway, awful. (laughs) Um, You tied it really well with sort of the, you know, the, the present and the past and all of that pain. And as you're like going through your excruciating pain-filled current moment, you hear kind of the, you know, the screeching breaks or whatever of what's going on back in the past, like those screams echoing through that as well. Um, And even the way that you wrote about it slowly, like here's what happened, but then how you took us through as if we were living through it, like, and then here's what happened on day one. And here's what happened on day two. And then mama took me aside and told me this, and you have to remember this. And it's like, it's like everything kept unfolding. It wasn't just the totality of casualties was this, right? It's like, we were there in the hospital with you, uh, with, well, not even you, you weren't there, but with your family and how you reconstructed that. And even how your aunt didn't even remember it. I mean, all this stuff I found absolutely fascinating and horrifying, but like, you know, like they say as a car, you know, how rubbernecking, it's like the book is like one big rubbernecking delay, you know? Yeah. I, I feel like that was is so important to me that what happened around the accident unfolds in that way, because that's how I experienced it. I learned about it really like a piece at a time mm-hmm. and it took forever for me to even begin to recreate a chronology of what happened because, you know, in my mind, and remember, this is like a a child taking this in when you first hear about the accident, in my mind, you know, there's an accident, poof, everyone dies. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, and I don't even know who the everyone is, right. I could never keep straight who was, who existed, you know, in that moment, because it's 12 years before I'm born. But as I was sort of learning about it, like one of the early conversations with my father, and he tells me well, his mother died 10 days later, mm-hmm. right? He keeps saying, well, mama said, mama said, and I'm like, well, how does she say anything? Right. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, she lived for 10 days. And I think that that's when I understood this as a fuller kind of narrative of what happened, um, that this wasn't something 
instant. And it was so important for me to frame it that way, because when you think of it as something instant, it's something that doesn't happen in time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just something that, that kind of exists without, um, this sort of context and the context was everything with this accident, right? Because it happens in 1960 and that's critical, right? Because you, it's still segregated healthcare, mm-hmm. right? And um, I think that one of the things that it was most shocking to me in my own research was frankly how little I knew, mm-hmm. right? I'm supposed to be a professor who, you know, focuses on the history of race in the United States. and I don't think I understood what segregation meant in healthcare on a day-to-day basis, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're in an accident, who comes to get you, mm-hmm. right? You know, you've got to wait on the colored ambulance, right? Not every ambulance service is going to service Black people. And if you're living in that context, right, where you are considered so inferior that everything needs to be separate for you. Mm -hmm. What happens when you get to a hospital? Mm -hmm. How can you trust that you will receive the best care available in that hospital? And I think that I had never in my mind, they all died at the side of the accident. The idea that there was an aftermath was something that had completely escaped me because no one had ever really talked about what happened. Uh, it was always just the wreck, died in the wreck. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And it sounded like, and you, you don't say this specifically, you're not like, I think the hospital covered something up, but the way that you write the story leads the reader to think, well, like, why did the mom pass away when she was fine for 10 days and then overnight, Mm -hmm. like, dies, right? Like, what was that? Like, who's not catching something? Was there internal bleeding? Like, were there no extra, you know, like, what, what was really going on and what could be avoided? What could have been avoided? What losses could have been, you know, reversed? 
Yeah. And, and that, that will always, you know, sort of be on my mind, but it was certainly something I was thinking about throughout the book, because as I'm uncovering, you know, I'm looking at death certificates, I'm looking at these different materials and, and I'm reading these newspaper articles that really demonstrate how embedded segregation is in this moment, right? Like I can't find you know, obituaries, because you can't publish Black people's obituaries in the same column as white people's That's obituaries. also crazy. Right, right. So, like, you know, you get, you got to go to a section of the newspaper called News About Negroes in order to find, you know, even find an obituary. And when you see that, yeah, it, it raises certain kinds of questions about how, what could happen in a hospital with colored signs all over it? You know, what can happen in a hospital with a whites only? waiting room. Um, and I, I think oftentimes when we talk about segregation, we are so often fixated on things like water fountains, you know, because because they do demonstrate something about the day-to-day. But I think that they oftentimes, we, we miss the terror of that, mm. right? Like we miss the idea of walking into a hospital and it's kind of a given that your life is not as important right? As the, as the lives of the people around you. And I think that, yeah, it's hard for, I do find it hard to believe that in a situation where you're rushed to an emergency room in Alabama in 1960, that your care would be a priority as a mm-hmm. Black person in that moment. So I, I do find it hard to believe. And I, I think that if they miss something that you know, I think some of it was probably just kind of careless disregard, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that um, because, you know, even the newspaper articles, when they're listing the names of the mm-hmm. victims, right, and all the, the white names have to be at the top and they have to say Mr. and Mrs. and the black names are just listed at the bottom with, and behind them, Negro, right? And so, yeah, there would have been no consequences for missing something, right? There would have been no real impact. Mm-hmm. Right for not treating you know black people in the same ways that they would have treated a, a, a white person in that hospital. Well, it it makes it clear that you know, there's all this talk about inherited trauma, right? And there is such a huge trauma <laughs> that you have inherited. I mean, this is a. Yeah. I mean, how does any family sort of you know pull themselves upright? after something like this has happened, especially when it pervaded so many branches, right? Like so many mm-hmm. pieces of, of history. And then here you come, like, how do you make sense of it, right? How do you yeah. integrate all this information? So how did writing the whole story and digging deep and finding out all these facts, like, how do you make sense of it all now? Like, how do you mm-hmm. think about it? Like sort of re, not repackaging, sort of like, you know, rewriting your own sort of narrative after after changing some of the past that wasn't quite in order? Mm, that's a great question. I, I feel like I have so many more tools at my disposal than my mm-hmm. dad had at that time. Like, I, I don't know if my father could have done anything other than what he did, right? And I think that one of the things that he was trying to do in some ways, is he was trying to go on with his life, but he was also trying to, you know, reproduce, like to recreate an idea of family mm-hmm. and yet still being haunted by the past. And I too have been haunted. And I'm not, I'm not sure if you so much had this moment where you've made sense of it as I've had 
periods in which different moments include different kinds of healing given the ways in which it, it comes to me. So I guess what I mean by that is that I feel like there are ways in which I am always working through mm-hmm. the significance of that past to this moment now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm always planning for disaster, for example. <laughs> like I've, I'm always planning for disaster. I'm like, I don't have a bomb shelter or anything. It's mm-hmm. not that. In my mind, I'm planning for it because you can't control it, mm-hmm. right? This idea, right, that these, you know, uh, devastating losses are part of our lives in ways that we don't necessarily have control over. And, but I, I've had to like temper that because, you know, my my husband likes to talk about the fact that like, um, I'm, I will point to a disaster and tell someone really, you should be careful because, and then I'll go into this horrible story of someone being dismembered by something usually. And he will say, you do realize other people do not talk like this. And I know that that's coming from a place of loss. Right. And so I think that, um, I don't know if I so much make sense of it as I give myself the space to process it, um, to let it come to me when it comes to me and to process that grief, you know, and I, and I, I do think there is something to what my father did, which was really kind of a kind of recreation of family and moving on and taking real pleasure and delight in that. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that I do as well, but yeah, it's very, it's, it's always sort of in progress. I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's ever finite, but I know for me, one of the things that was really important was the knowing mm. like I, and I know that some things could not be recreated, right? Like there are some things that remain unknown, but it was really important to me that I gathered the information and that it would be there for my children. Um, when they needed to know more because like so much of my life was so much about like the secrecy of, you know, uh, family, just, you know, family secrets and the things that you don't talk about. And I wanted to create a space where I not could not only talk about it and process it out loud and, and process it, process it as a writer, but also to create a space for my children to be able to process it because I don't think it's a kind of loss that has like some sort of final ending. Like this is, it is deeply embedded in who we are. Mm -hmm. So true. Tell me about the process of writing the book and when you fit that in with your other, with your, your motherhood and life and work. And like, when did you do all of this and how did you get it done? I feel like I should ask you the same question. (laughs) Um, Maybe that's when why I'm asking you. I'm like, done, advice, right? <laughs> yeah, when do we get it done? So with this book, I remember writing pieces of this soon after I had my first uh, child. And she was nursing a lot, <laughs> like not just a little bit. Like she was a kid who nursed all night, it seemed like. And I can remember just being up at night and literally like feed the baby, put her down, <laughs> write a little bit feed the baby, put her down, write a little bit. There wasn't a lot of sleep in there anyway. And I figured, you know, I needed to write it down too. Like I, 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 there was something therapeutic about that process, I'm sure. But I felt so compelled to be writing about this. 
So there was that, but it took a long time. I had, you know, two children and, you know, there were times in the process where I'm like, I don't know. I just didn't know if it was a book, you know, and Mm -hmm. I kept looking at it. I was thinking, you know, it's really two stories. It's not one story, but I can't tell one story without the other story because they're so connected in these, you know, intimate ways for me. And so some of the writing took place in the wee hours. And then in later years, even as my kids were getting even a little bit older, I would still get up at like four o'clock in the morning and write really, really early. Um, and I look back at that now and I'm like, how did I do that? You know, like <laughs> you just think like, well, that was, that should have, you know, been torture going without sleep. And I don't necessarily recommend writing that way, but I think that when you, you gotta be up before they're up, right? With the kids, like you gotta be up before they're up anyway. But yeah, it, it, it also took a long time to find the form. Mm. Yeah. I, I, tried to read as many memoirs as I could that really like broke the rules because I didn't know how I could make these stories fit together in terms of the form. And I was obsessed with it because I do feel like form is like a kind of the place where I feel uh, most vulnerable as a writer. Like it's the thing I worry about the most, the form, like, is this going to make sense to anybody but me? And it wasn't until I found the form that all of those pieces I had been writing for so long started to fall into place, or I was kind of nudging them into place to try to make that make it work as a book. But yeah, I'm an everyday writer, or at least I try to be an everyday <laughs> writer, right? And but what I've discovered is like with little kids, like you know, talk about not being able to control anything, like and you know they get sick. like they get sick all the time like they get you know uh and you know they're they have needs that need to be met that definitely make it hard sometimes to find the time to actually write yeah it was tricky and it took way longer than I thought this book was gonna take I know everyone says that but like it took way longer than I thought this book was gonna take and part of it is that I started this book at a time where I then subsequently had two children after it So I had this conversation a long time ago with um, the poet Claudia Rankin, and it really helped me deal with how long this book took. Mm -hmm. Um, I was having uh, dinner with her one night when she was visiting this area. um, And and I, I don't really know her, know her. I was just invited to this dinner. And I asked her a similar kind of question about how did she get citizen done and she talked about the time it took her between books and then she mentioned the age of her child and she said you do notice that those are the same (laughs) like it took her she was like my kid had to get old enough for me to get the space to actually do this to finish this and and I just thought wow that's so helpful because when you're talking to somebody you're like oh there's a literary genius and they're telling you oh no it's hard to write with children (laughs) things take longer with kids it was so helpful to me because honestly, I think I actually felt like a little bit of shame about how long this book took me. Okay. How long did it really take? I think I worked on this book for 10 years. Okay. I think I worked on this book for 10 years because, yeah, because I, it was, and that's not including when the book finally gets picked up and there were, there were edits to do after that. So yeah, I want to say it was like, you know, a 10 year period of time. I got other books out during that time. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, because I, I actually, yeah, I started this book right after I had published a scholarly book and then published a book with some friends in between while I was still working on this one. And then, yeah, it, it took some time. Well, it's not... You know like, the deal. I know the deal. <laughs> I know the deal. But I also feel like this book is so important for you and your family. And like, it's not like you're just cranking out a novel about a car crash even. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is so, yep. there's a lot of stuff there. There's so, I feel like how great that you just got it. You did it though. And now it's done. Yeah. Yeah. And I honestly think one of the reasons I couldn't finish it is it was in part because, you know, the, some of the stories of the people in it weren't finished yet in mm-hmm. a way that I needed to happen in order for me to really understand the meaning of their lives in a way. And I think, yeah, I think that was one of the things that was also making this book hard because I didn't have answers to all the questions that I was really posing in this Mm -hmm. book. And I was asking big questions about, you know, survival, Mm -hmm. asking huge questions about how people survive something like what my father survived. And I think that, yeah, it took real reflection and time and spending time with people. Mm-hmm. There were relatives in the book that I had never really had conversations with about this either because we'd all been taught not to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I was stunned when I uh, mentioned, you mentioned earlier when I go and talk to my, my cousin who mm-hmm. was in the accident and she tells me she has no memory of it. And it, it was stunning to me mm-hmm. that it was as if you know, the, the not talking in some ways for me, it required a a book to break through that kind of silence. Wow. Well, look, you got it done. It's great. (laughs) You know, you still (laughs) kept everything else in the air enough that, you know, so I I think it's wonderful. And I really do feel like this book, a lot of it is, is about your search for control over all these things that were just just out of grasp. And so hopefully, even though it took a while, the fact that you like took it back makes you feel empowered going forward with all the other stuff, you know? It does. You know, it really, really does. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're awesome. I really appreciate you doing (laughs) this. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks, Cassandra. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.